You're listening to episode 70 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome, and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Take the Reins podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Porter. As you may or may not know, this is the final episode of season two. So going to be a little hiatus between season two and season three, which is normal. I'll be back on the air with more episodes the first week of September. So it'll be the first Tuesday in September. Although I won't be producing any Take the Reins episodes throughout the summer, I'm not taking a break from podcasting altogether because Canada Horse Podcast will continue over the summer. We are still in season one and we're really enjoying it so far. So if you need a podcast in order to fill that Tuesday space, even though the Canada Horse Podcast episodes come out on Thursday, you could easily just switch out your Take the Reins for Canada Horse if you don't already listen. If you do listen to Canada Horse Podcast, first, I want to say thank you. Second, uh, stay tuned for September to reintroduce Take the Reins into your weekly schedule. So again, Thanks so much for listening throughout the last, I think it's been nine months for season two, and I look forward to bringing more fantastic episodes to you in season three. On today's podcast episode, I'm interviewing Lisa Whalen from Minnesota, and I'm really thrilled to be sharing this particular interview with you to finish off the season because it leads into my work for the summer beautifully and it was such an inspiring conversation for me to have given the work that I'm doing right now. So Lisa used her experience with horses to really help her throughout her healing process from an eating disorder and she actually just published a book Stable Weight on her journey and the reason why I feel so so excited to be able to bring this interview to you but also for me to have had this conversation as well is my new project that I'm working on through Informed Equestrian with Nadine which is the collaborative book. It's a complete coincidence actually that's not true it's never a coincidence it's complete alignment that right after 
Uh, Nadine and I started talking about the book and put it out there into the world that we were putting this book together and that we were looking for authors that I actually connected with Lisa via email and she was like I feel like this would be a great podcast episode for you and I am thrilled to be able to introduce you to Lisa and her writing and also for you to be able to hear the true impact that horses have had on her life and also I feel like it's great inspiration for anyone who's listening who feels like maybe it's time for them to share their story and I'm telling you right now if you feel like this collaborative book is calling to you and you have a story that needs to be shared then you are not wrong and your voice should be shared and your story if you if you're a little concerned we'll go here first if you're a little concerned that maybe your writing isn't good enough or you're not sure if your story's good enough first of all put that those worries to the side because that's what we're here for we're here to help you flush out your story we're here to help you tell your story and we have editors to help you edit your story so that is no problem at all and I can tell you right now I was on a live with Nadine actually today and I started talking about the messages that you potentially could receive from people who read your story and I get goosebumps I have them right now actually I get goosebumps every single time I think about the potential impact that this book has and the potential impact your story has on people who pick up this book and read your story there's something about reading a story that resonates and sits with us and touches us that just makes us feel less alone and more empowered and that's what this is all about the other part of this is that we want or we're going to we don't want to we're going to create an experience for you that makes you feel safe makes you feel comfortable and makes you feel seen and heard throughout the writing process you will not feel alone and you're going to connect with like-minded people in a safe place and there's no judgment here. We are creating a community of writers, equestrian writers, who are just willing to show up as their vulnerable selves, ready to make an impact on the equestrian community. Okay, that's it. Let's get into the interview with Lisa Whalen. I hope you enjoy. And this is not goodbye for Take the Reins. This is simply, we'll see you in September. And thank you a million times over for listening to Take the Reins season two. I can't wait for you to hear what's in store for season three. Hello and welcome to the Take the Reins podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Porter, and I am so excited to be speaking with Lisa Whalen today. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Well, I am excited as equally excited to be speaking with you today because I'm thinking this conversation is one that I can't wait for my listeners to hear. And it's one that's going to beautifully wrap up season two of Take the Reins. Yeah, I was excited when I heard about the concept for your show because I it feels like it's right up my alley too. And from what I've heard, you're 100% correct. So why don't you just to start us off, tell us who you are, where you're from, and your involvement with horses. 
All right, so I'm Lisa Whalen. I am a college professor in St. Well, I live in St. Paul, Minnesota, but I teach at North Hennepin Community College in a suburb of the Twin Cities here in Minnesota. I teach English classes, so essay writing, creative writing, literature, and some journalism. And um, I'm also an animal lover. I volunteer at the Animal Humane Society here in the Twin Cities, which is really fun. Mostly I do dog walking, which is great because I get exercise while I do it. So I just published my first book, which is Stable Weight, a memoir of hunger, horses, and hope. And I'm looking forward to talking with you about horses and healing today. Awesome. I, well, congratulations on your first book, first of all. That's a pretty big deal. And so it's, uh, it's something that I feel like people, so many of us have that desire in our heart and so many of us just kind of let it simmer and say, oh, well, maybe I won't. So congratulations on writing and publishing that book. That's exciting. When did it come out? It came out on March 2nd of 2021. Oh, so very fresh. Yeah, it was many years in the making, and I actually didn't know I was writing a book when I started. It actually started as just an exercise, a, like a free writing exercise, and then it just kept growing from there. So there were some, some stumbles and some growing pains throughout, but I feel like even though I teach writing every day, I learned so much from the process that was really as valuable as actually the finished product, but, um, it was, it was a really fun and interesting and challenging process. That's awesome. Yeah. I completely agree. You're right. It's like this whole other process that makes you appreciate the English language and the writing process so much more. And I thoroughly enjoyed the writing process. So it is nice to be speaking to a fellow author, uh, within the equestrian world and let's dive into the content of your book, because I think it's such an important topic. And I feel like it's not really one that I've spoken about much on the show so far. So I think it's very valuable for the audience to, uh, to hear. So why don't you tell us what's the book about and how did you land on, I actually want to put this out into the world? Well, my book is about how for about somewhere between 10 and 15 years, it's hard to pinpoint exactly. I struggled with an eating disorder and depression. And, you know, it's tough to say which caused which they were sort of hand in hand, and they became a spiral that fed itself. So, but they were very much linked. And in my late 20s, early 30s, I went through treatment at a place called the Emily program, which is a formal eating disorder treatment clinic in the U.S. here, and it was fantastic. It was a great facility. It was so helpful, and I made huge gains through that, but then on really just sort of a whim, when I was in my 30s, I decided one summer when I wasn't teaching that just for fun, I was going to take a few horseback riding lessons. I'd gone to a week-long horse camp as a kid when I was 12, and I loved it, but I just didn't have access or funds to do any horseback riding prior to that or after that. So I signed up for these lessons and I thought it was just going to be a handful of fun lessons, but um, I found out pretty quickly that it can take a lifetime to learn how to ride and that there's no end to the learning. And as a teacher, I loved that aspect of it, but I also found out pretty early on that it was learning to ride and being around horses was serving as basically like a therapy practicum. There was something about being around the horses and learning to interact with them that pushed me to apply and practice in a variety of different situations, all the things I'd learned from eating disorder therapy. And it really 
reframed my relationship with my body and how I perceived my body, which then of course also helped to reframe how I perceived myself and how I felt about myself and my self-image and everything too. So the book is all about that journey and what I learned. Each chapter is named for one lesson horse and the insight or the healing growth opportunity that that horse provided me. And it, the book as a whole goes through a chronological narrative of my life, but each chapter is thematic. So it really tries to stay focused on that one theme. That sounds incredible. Let's bring us to that mind-body connection. Can you just explain how horses really helped in that whole healing process? Yeah, I learned in some of my early lessons that I have this tendency, which I think is fairly common among a lot of eating disorder patients and also just people who tend to be very perfectionistic, which goes right along with an eating disorder. I have this tendency to go off on little like field trips in my head when I'm doing something. And that's also typical of academics too. Like we love to live in our heads, right? And we're trained to do that. And so that was a big part of this disconnect from my body that I went through with my eating disorder. And that I think was a result of it too. But when you're, when you're riding, you really have to stay present because horses are, they're in the present all the time. They live in the present. And so you have to stay in the present to be with them and to partner with them. And, and also just for safety, right? Like you can't go on these little excursions in your head while you're going to a fence that you're going to jump. That's not a very safe way to do it. And so being present and learning to be present in my mind and body at the time was a big gift that horses gave me. But I also found in one of my first lessons where we were doing groundwork, that learning about how sensitive horses are to energy and how they use their bodies to communicate and to form relationships and even to shuffle their position in the herd, that was really fascinating to me. And learning how to move with the horse and get the horse to do what I wanted on the ground without actual physical contact was a light bulb moment for me. I have a chapter in my book where I talk about how I was always the move E rather than the move er. And because of some messages that I got growing up from society and from parents, I always tended to want to drink and be invisible and get out of everybody's way and stay out of everybody's way. And suddenly I was facing down this 1100 pound animal and I had to make it move instead of it moving me. And it just set off this whole series of insights about what I could do and how I could take up space and how for the first time in my life, taking up space was a good thing. And it was something that I wanted to do and needed to do instead of something that I fought against and ad actively avoided like I had done for most of my life. And I think one of the other big insights was that I mentioned perfectionism is a big part of a lot of eating disorders and drives a lot of eating disorders. And that was for sure the case for me. And one of my first lesson teachers, after knowing me for a, probably a total of three hours at separate intervals, said to me, you're a perfectionist, aren't you? And I was sort of blown away. I was like, wow, it's that obvious that she can tell that, that, you know, soon as a stranger. And she said, you know, look, horses aren't perfect and they don't care and they're not trying to be perfect. Right. So your ride is never going to be perfect. So because the horses aren't perfect and they're not trying to be, that lets you off the hook. So just stop trying to be perfect, just ride. 
And I thought, wow, like I need that as a tattoo or something. Stop trying to be perfect. Just go, just move forward, just ride. And so those were some of the early insights that I got. And then those gifts of, of insight just kept coming up more and more as I became more advanced in my riding. Amazing. What an empowering story. I have goosebumps as you're speaking because that movie versus mover, it's that's so empowering, especially for someone like you said, someone who's spent their life trying to shrink down and not take up space. And then you really truly do learn that lesson. Horses are a phenomenal teacher of that because they, they will take that space from you and your safety requires you to really step up and be present with them. And some horses are better teachers of that than others, but wow, what an empowering, uh, that's just the only word that's coming to my mind to even think about a connection to that story, because it's a, it's a beautiful image. Let's talk a little bit about taking up space. How did you experience taking up space or trying to avoid taking up space in life prior to horses versus how you feel about it now? Yeah, well, I'm so I'm a teacher by profession, which is something I never thought I would do. I, in fact, when I would do career inventories in junior high and high school, English teacher was always the first or second thing that came up. And I, I kind of knew I liked to write, but I didn't take it seriously at that point. And I was like, ha, no way. There's no way I would ever be a teacher because I was so shy and I didn't like people looking at me and I didn't want people to listen to me. And I didn't like it when I was called on in class. And I was really lucky to have a mentor in graduate school, which I went into because I basically just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I was in a job that I hated who said, you know, I think you would like teaching and I think you'd be good at it. And I'll, I'm willing to mentor you if you want. And I was, I was really on the fence about it. I was like, Oh God, I don't know. And she just gently kept pushing me into these opportunities and I got more and more comfortable with it. But I still, my first couple of years in the classroom, I still was just really, I struggled with being assertive and being authoritative and relating to students and being in front of an audience who was staring at me. Right. Like, and I still wasn't totally comfortable with my body and my presence and all of that. So having to learn how to move horses around and get them to listen to me and learn how to be assertive was a huge gift for me as a teacher, as well as personally, because I had to learn how to be, um, I had to have a presence and I had to get them to do what I wanted them to do, but it wasn't about being aggressive or Mm -hmm. violent, which I just, I don't have that in me. Like I love animals. I could never be violent or I have a hard time even being aggressive toward an animal and horses, you know, they're big and they're powerful and they're intimidating, but they're also very sensitive and very fragile. And so really horses, I feel like taught me what it means to be assertive and what that looks like and how to embody assertiveness without having to resort to aggressiveness Mm. and without being passive. Cause I feel like I spent a lot of my life being passive and being frustrated with being passive. So the body work and the groundwork was really key to that. But even in the saddle too, and one of the chapters in the book is about a horse called Penny and she's this little Morgan mare who is just fierce and she has this sassy attitude and she does not put up with anything. And she's great if you can get her to do what you want. She's like this amazingly talented jumper and she has this beautiful gait and, you know, beautiful canter. 
And she and I, I struggled at first because she, you know, she, she challenged all my weak spots, but the more I learned about her and learned to partner with her, the better writer and better teacher I became because she really taught me what it means to be an active partner and what that give and take relationship looks like. And that conflict is not necessarily a bad or a scary thing. It can be a good and a really teaching gift too. And all of those things about conflict and assertiveness and partnership and communication all transferred over into my teaching. And I feel like that all made me not only a better teacher, but a happier teacher too. I didn't feel like I was constantly fighting my own nature to stand in front of a classroom or to work with a student one-on-one and get reluctant students who are taking a class just because it's required and maybe hate writing, which is fairly common mm-hmm. to you know, do what they need to do to be successful in the class. That's amazing. So you're speaking to my horse loving self and my teacher loving self right now and my writing loving self right now. So I'm, uh, I'm loving this conversation. And as you're talking, I'm just thinking about the clarity that horses allow us to have. And that's clarity in conversation, clarity in our body language, clarity in what we actually want. I feel like that is one of the lessons horses are so phenomenal at teaching because we spend a lot of our time. I don't know if I don't want to say it's a, it's a strictly women thing because I think it's a human thing is that we kind of get told or made to feel like our wants are, if we express clearly what we want, then we're also blowing by what other, other people need from us. And it's almost disrespectful or rude to just clearly say what you want. And I feel so many of us spend our time barely expressing how we feel and what we need because we don't want to offend others. And then when you spend time with horses and that clarity is absolutely vital for your safety and for the relationship, but really looking and saying, how can becoming more clear on what I want and what I need in a relationship actually shift that into a positive for everyone involved. Like, how can we actually use that? Your story is just, you're you're like, you're hitting so many points of interest for me right now. I'm almost flooded and overwhelmed. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that actually. Yeah. And I agree a hundred percent about clarity of thinking and clarity of, of knowing what you want and asking for it, which I don't know that I fully realized until I started riding horses are two separate things. And I knew I couldn't, or I, I knew I struggled to ask for what I want or articulate it, but I don't think I totally realized that I didn't even always know what I wanted because I just was so used to ignoring my own wants and my own needs and expressing them um, until I started working with horses where it was like, no, they not only need you to do that, they want you to do that. And the more I learned about how horses want you to be a strong leader, they want to know that you're going to keep them safe. And the more you can convince them that you're confident, that you know what you're doing and that they should follow your lead, the happier they will be. And something about that, like knowing that I would make them happy by being a strong leader and saying, no, this is what I want and correcting them and asking again, if they didn't give me what I wanted, or if I didn't articulate it well, the, the easier it made that to do, um, because I I did have a hard time, like identifying and articulating what I wanted or what I needed. And so 
horses helped me practice that. And then the more I practiced it with horses, the easier it got with humans too, which was another gift, especially in the classroom, right? Like where I have, sometimes I would have football players who were a foot taller and, you know, 200 pounds heavier than I was, and they'd be mad about a grade or an assignment or something. And it was like, no, I can't just cower and say, okay, sure. Whatever you want. I have to learn how to stay calm and talk them through it and say, well, no, this is the expectation. This is what you need to do. Here's the goals you need to meet. So that was, um, that was such good practice that the horses gave me and, just there, you know, they, they tend to be very calm unless given a reason not to be. And so I feel like I fed off of their calm and they modeled that for me. And I learned that from them too. Absolutely. I love that example. I want to just take us backwards just for a second. So at the beginning, you spoke about the fact that you really found the horses were like a therapy practicum. So do you mind just speaking to that a little bit in a little bit more depth? Sure. Yeah. They, um, there's so many ways that they helped me do that. Some of it was just, you know, basic comfort with like social interaction. Each time I met a new lesson horse, I had to figure out their signals and how they communicated and what they preferred. And they, it was a, even though I had volunteered in an animal shelter and I knew cats and dogs and bunnies and all that were individual and different I think in my head, because I didn't have a lot of experience with horses, a horse was a horse, right? Like you just got on its back and you rode. And I very quickly learned that that they are all very different, that they have individual personalities and their bodies are different and their histories are different, right? Like one might have scar tissue that makes one particular move different, difficult. So I approach it in a different way. And so just practicing those interactions and communicating with each individual horse and learning its, its quirks and getting it used to my quirks was a, a big confidence builder too. Um, cause I just didn't, you know, I was very shy most of my life and I didn't have a lot of confidence in my social skills. And so that really helped. And it just taught me to be open and, you know, horses are so forgiving if, if they know your intention is good and they're really good. I think about identifying your intentions and if you just go in with an open mind and a willingness to learn and make mistakes and and you know apologize for your mistakes and try and do better they're super forgiving about that and so it it did sometimes almost feel like sitting with a therapist when i was with a horse cuz it was like there's no judgment they don't care what i look like on a given day they don't care if i had a good food day or a bad food day they don't care um, you know, how my clothes look on me or whatever, they just care how I treat them. And so it was this permission to just be myself and not have to meet some societal expectation that I think I'd been measuring myself against my whole life every time I met a new horse. And it was interesting to me too, how the relationship with each horse grew and changed as my riding skills developed too, um, you know, and we'd hit a plateau or we'd hit a, a, a challenge and I'd have to work through that, which built a lot of resilience too. When we're thinking about the skills and the strategies that you learn in therapy, this really is a tangible place for you to be able to put those into practice. Yeah, Absolutely. Part of what I was learning in therapy and one of the things that took me the longest to learn is that eating disorders are 
essentially they're a lot like an addiction, really. They're a, a bad coping mechanism or like a maladaptive coping mechanism. And so it's, it, they take a long time to unlearn. It's developing other coping strategies to put in place and to fall back on instead of the eating disorder. And it's really relearning how to think and how to react and how to feel. And so a lot of what I was relearning, I was able to practice with writing. And I talked earlier about perfectionism. I had this tendency to see everything in terms of all or nothing, which is also very common with eating disorders. And so it was like, well, I'm either perfect at something or I'm terrible, right? I either get it the first time or I'm never going to get it. I either do therapy and recovery perfectly or I'm never going to get it. And that's not at all how recovery and therapy works, right? Like you make mistake after mistake after mistake. You have good days for a week and a half and then suddenly you have a really bad food day. And I would think, oh, now I have to start all over from the beginning. And it was like, no, that was one slip up, right? Or that was one relapse or whatever you want to call it, but you've made this much progress, right? One little slip doesn't negate everything you've done. And horses are all about practicing that, right? Like just because I had one bad fence doesn't mean I can, I forgot how to jump fences, um, right? Like I learned from that and I move on. And I, I, what I, one of the things I learned too, is that writing is very, um, what we talk about in terms of teaching writing in the classroom is recursive. It's sort of cyclical or spiral. And I see this with my students. They may struggle with like fragments, right? Or run on sentences. And we work on that and we work on that and they get it and they can do it well in a simple narrative essay. But then I ask them to write a complicated critique of an article, right? And suddenly, it's like they never learned to fix fragments and run-ons because now they're doing this more complex skill that's much more cognitive and they're focusing on that. So they can't put that same energy and attention into fragments and run-ons. And it's not that they've unlearned it. It's just that I'm asking them to do something more difficult. And because school and writing came fairly easily for most of my life, I would say with the exception of math, I kind of struggle with math sometimes. I don't think I've fully understood that until I started riding horses. And I was like, oh, okay, right. Um, I would, you know, think I mastered keeping my heels down. And then suddenly I would learn to canter and my heels popped right back up again. Mm -hmm. I had to relearn how to keep my heels down when I cantered. And then I got it down with cantering and I started learning how to jump fences. And boy, as soon as I started wanting to jump fences, my body went forward, my heels came up and I had to relearn. So all of that really helped to reinforce what I was learning in therapy about all or nothing thinking is not helpful and it's not healthy. And you have to, you have to unlearn that and learn how to see shades of gray um, instead of everything in terms of all or nothing in black and white. And so that was helpful for me as a teacher, right? Seeing my students work and not thinking, oh, they just forgot everything. Um, Where were they? Just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and also just in being kinder to myself, right? Like you're going to make mistakes. It's not the end of the world. And it doesn't mean you start over from scratch every time, which made learning new eating and exercise habits much easier. Cause that was like, oh yeah. Okay. Yep. I made a mistake, done this before, learned from it, moved on. So that's, what's going to happen again this time. It sort of lowered the stakes for everything. If that makes sense. 
Oh, absolutely. And that story, uh, if someone's listening right now and you are trying to teach your something, your horse something, listen back to that story again, because it will help you have an understanding of why your horse struggles with something multiple times. And, you know, there's been numerous times that I've been teaching someone and I'll watch their level of frustration rise And normally they'll have learned something new. The horse has accomplished it and they've only done it probably like once or twice and it was good. And then they go back to it again after they've either had some time or there's been a change in their emotional state. So something has triggered them or um, another horse, the environment changed something and they'll come back and I'll go and the rider's now completely frustrated and they'll say, well, they know how to do this. And it's such an opportunity for us. Like, I love that story. It's such an opportunity for us to just go back and say, we need to give ourselves ourselves some grace in this learning process. And your analogy of really looking and saying, okay, well, now I know how to put my heels down. Well, I can put my heels down at the halt. This is great. No problem. Then go into the walk and just changing the degree of difficult difficulty slightly it changes what we can put our attention on and it really you know pushes us out of our comfort zone and makes makes us have to go back to what we know and then relearn some of the things we we already know as well something else that you spoke about that i absolutely loved was in the healing of your eating disorder you're retraining how to think react and feel which when we're looking to improve our horsemanship and we're also bringing personal growth into it, we are literally relearning how to think, react, and feel. So it's just beautiful. Yeah, and I think horses are so good for teaching us that. The the place where I ride, they have a lot of former track horses. Um, They get a lot of thoroughbreds off the track. And I've been able to observe a lot of the, the training process. I've been there for several years, so I've seen them get horses that came off the track from, you know, they literally raced last week to, well, they've been off the track a few years, but they still need some elements of training for show horsing, you know, show jumping or whatever. And that reinforces what you just talked about. Um, so much of the, the training, and sometimes they even get like a six months break where they just hang out as part of the herd and learn to be part of the herd because, their brain and their body is so messed up from what they went through at the track and some of the trauma that was involved with that, that it's almost like they have to deprogram and they have to like let the cortisol and stress go out of their body physically and mentally before they can even attempt to start learning to rethink. And I, I came across something recently. I don't remember where it was, but I was reading something about training horses and they talked about teaching horses to use their thinking brain. I'm sure you probably know all about that. It was new to me, but I I just thought that was such a cool thing. Like you're teaching them how to use their thinking brain. And I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing with students in the classroom. I'm teaching them how to use their thinking brain because I'm teaching them new ways to think and look at texts or look at the world. But like so much of therapy and recovery is about teaching myself to use my thinking brain too, instead of just, I find these circumstances and I react like, and I was highly, you know, reactionary. Like I was so, because I was nutritionally deficient too, 
Um, I didn't have like the resilience and the coping skills. And so I would react and fall into bad reactionary patterns. And so learning to use my thinking brain instead of just reacting was such a, that was such a cool like insight that sparked a lot of ideas for me when I came across that in terms of horse training too. And it's funny because I didn't actually think about horses thinking until I started to work with horses on the ground. When I actually had some distance between us and I was asking them to do something and I would have to slow down enough to look for what they were thinking about to give them a a release from the slightest try. So that, that it's a phenomenal groundwork and obstacle work is a phenomenal practice to be able to have people see how their horse thinks, appreciate how their horse thinks and reward their horse again, using their thinking side of their brain, but teaching them how to learn. We have to teach the same as you said, we have to teach our students how to learn. We were taught how to learn. Sometimes we need to be taught how to unlearn (laughs) as well. Um, And it is, it's an amazing process. I love the connections that you're making between the horses and the teaching world. um, Because having left the teaching world, I automatically jumped into making all of these connections between the personal growth world and horsemanship. And I never actually took the time to make the connections between what I was doing in the classroom as an English teacher to what I was doing in the arena with my horses. So I, I just so appreciate the conversation that we're having right now. Yeah, me too. It's so fun to talk to someone who has such similar experiences, but then I'm also terrible at math. Lisa. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love talking with you too, because you have so many similar experiences, but you have this whole world of knowledge about horses and horse training that I don't. So it's really fun to hear about it from your perspective too. And I think one of the other things that helped make that, that connection and help clarify for me, that idea of the thinking brain was just really early on when I first started learning about horses was learning that their whole worldview and everything they do and think and feel is all formed by their status as prey animals. And that had just never occurred to me. That was not something I never thought about, you know, and people always say, oh, horses are spooky and they're scary and, you know, all this. And I understand that because I've, I certainly have had that, that, you know, sense at times too, but the minute an instructor explained to me, well, they're prey animals, right? So everything is a potential threat And their whole sense of safety comes from their herd or having a leader who makes them feel safe. It was like something just clicked into place. I think I identified with that too, Mm. because I think for a lot of my life, I felt like sort of a, or at least I had a prey animals view of life. And I sort of considered myself the prey in, in the world. And like, you know, everything was potentially scary and threatening and all that. So I, I related to that on a very personal level, but that just, made something click and everything made sense from there on out. Once I knew that that was their worldview and that was how they thought, it was so much easier to see what they were trying to communicate or to understand why they were reacting to something the way they were and how I could change their behavior or ask them to do what I wanted them to do without making them feel threatened. That was a really cool insight. And, you know, and again, I, I, this is oversimplifying a bit, but I think I sort of apply that in the classroom too. A lot of students are scared coming into college and I am often their first semester teacher because I teach a lot of just like general education required courses. 
And so it's my job to convince them that they're part of a herd that makes it safe, right? And they have a strong leader they can, they can rely on and that we're gonna tackle obstacles together. Um, but that was, that was really helpful for me to know too. And it did change my framework because I wasn't, I was no longer the prey animal who was scared of and subject to everything. Now I was like the herd leader. And so if I was going to do that, I had to think of myself that way and I had to behave that way, which was helpful um, personally and professionally. And do you feel like you were for the first time able to offer something, the thing you needed for so long? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was like, once I started figuring this stuff out for myself, then I was able to offer it to others in a way that I never had been. And I don't think I ever thought I could. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I love it. Why don't we talk about how people can find you and find your work And, um, I definitely would like to purchase stable weight in the near future. And maybe I should uh, get you to send me a signed copy. That would be amazing. Cause I can't wait to actually dive in. I love that you wrote about within a chronological order, but about each lesson horse. I'm really looking forward to, to learning about that. So, okay. Before we go further, why don't you first tell me about your favorite horse that's in the book. And that way, when I go to read it, I have this like a little bit of like a smile on my face as I go to read that particular chapter. And then we'll talk about where to find it. Okay. Gosh, that's so hard to pick a favorite because they're each <laughs> so unique. And I feel like they all taught me such insightful lessons. I think I would probably choose Finn. He's actually in two chapters. Um, because I met him when he first came to the farm and he was an off the track horse and he was pretty, I mean, he, he, he had some PTSD really, um, from the starting gates. And so I wrote about that in the book and he, you know, was really scared and was at the bottom of the herd and all this stuff. And I got to see his growth and I got to see him become a lesson horse. And I got to my first ever multiple fence course that I did was with him. Mm -hmm. So that was like, it felt like this coming full circle moment for both of us, which was really cool. So I, and he's just a sweet, gentle guy who just wants to try everything and wants to please you and doesn't always get it right, but like he's giving it his full heart every single time. So he's really special. I would probably say he's my, my favorite. Based on my very brief meeting of you. It sounds like you just described yourself. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. That means a lot. Cause I love Finn. I think the world of him. So that's nice to hear. Good. Yeah. You can get, um, readers can find the book either at my publisher's site. It's Hopewell publications. And the, the URL is actually hopepubs.com or it's also on Amazon. You can just look it up by the title And um, I have a website with more information about me and my writing, and there's a link to purchase the book too. The URL is sort of unwieldy, but if you just look up Lisa Whalen, Minnesota, or Lisa Whalen Wix, um, it's a Wix site, it should pop right up. And otherwise, you can find me at North Hennepin Community College in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Okay. And can they find you on Instagram? Yes, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, Twitter and Pinterest. And for all of them, my username is 
Lisa Irish Whalen. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough for being on the show and speaking with me today because uh, I don't know about the audience, but everything landed very well for me. Uh, and I feel like we were meant to have this conversation. And it's really interesting because, you know, I left teaching in 2017 and I left very much um, at a point in my career where I was ready to leave. And I kind of described it like I kind of like brought, took this heavy blanket off of my shoulders, but this conversation has really brought me back mentally and emotionally to a really positive place from why I became a teacher and why I enjoyed it so much when I was a teacher. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I've really enjoyed this. This has been so much fun and I'm looking forward to your book that's coming out too. I'll be one of the first to buy it for sure. Awesome. Well, I will keep you in the loop of when it is coming out and we are on a fast track to make it happen. So uh, thanks again, Lisa, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening. And we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.